You're listening to Pastor Rory Rogers as he teaches through the book of Acts. If you have your Bibles ready, let's join him now. Working through the book of Acts. And Lord, as we come to this text, we just pray that the the power of your Holy Spirit would be in this place. Lord, that you would just go beyond just the man that's bringing the message here, Lord. And you would just uh, empower, speak your truth to the hearts. We just pray just that, that this text, Lord, would just be pressed into us, Lord. Lord, that you would conform us to be all that your word says that, that we can be and should be and are able to be through the power of your Holy Spirit. Just thank you, Lord, that it's not us trying to make something happen here today or wishful thinking. But Lord, today you are speaking to us and we just love your presence here. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we're in Acts chapter 13, we're going to go back one verse to chapter 12, verse 25. And if you don't have a Bible, don't be ashamed. Raise your hand real quick. Kevin will get you one. Uh, We definitely don't want you uh, missing out on anything if you don't have a Bible. But as we just go back one verse, chapter 12, verse 25, says, And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry, and they also took with them John, whose surname was Mark. Now you'll remember uh, back in chapter 9, when Saul of Tarsus was saved on the road to Damascus, uh, he was excited to get together with the Christians and he went down to Jerusalem and, and tried to foster fellowship with them. But the Christians in Jerusalem were terrified of him because before he had been a Christian, become a Christian, he was persecuting the church of God, even killing people, dragging men and women out of their homes into the prisons. And the, the Christians in Jerusalem were having a hard time opening up and letting this guy into their circles. And so Saul was a little bit of an outcast at first, but there was a man named Barnabas that came and and got Saul, brought him back to the Christians and brought reconciliation uh, between these these people, brought a friendship there. And you just love that about Barnabas is in Acts chapter, uh, the end of chapter four, uh, his name is Joseph, but they translate his name or they, they, they give him a nickname, the son of encouragement. And you see throughout the book of Acts, that is that man's ministry. He's a guy that has no problem going to the people that are downcast, discouraged, depressed, feeling condemned and going out and putting his arm alongside of them and just encouraging them, you know, showing them from the word, the joy that is in Christ. And, you know, man, don't you long for those Barnabases in your life? Have you ever been there where you've been down and and out and discouraged and depressed and worried and fearful? and, And that guy or that gal comes alongside you and says, hey, you know, I just feel like it's a word from the Lord for you today that he knows you. He loves you. He's for you. You know, cry out to him. He built, he'll be near to you. And you know, I'll be near to you too, brother. I'll be near to you too, sister. And man, have you ever been on the receiving end of an encouraging word like that? You know, man, it just brings your day back around. Oh, wow. You know, I can, I can breathe again. You know, we need more Barnabases in our life. We need more men and women, sons and daughters of encouragement. And we see that that's exactly what Barnabas did. He got this out, outcast Saul, brought him back to the apostles and said, you know what? I know that he's saved. I know he's converted. I know that he's, he's here to help and not to drag us out to prison. But, you know, Saul, even after that, he was very zealous for the Lord, didn't have a lot of tact in his sharing of the faith. 
and uh, he was just stirring up a lot of ruckus everywhere that he went because, you know, he was, he was, he was out to win, you know? And so they send him out on a boat back to Tarsus, his hometown, and he stayed there for about 12 years. You know, it says when they sent him out, then there was a peace again there in Jerusalem. And as they sent him back to Tarsus, his hometown, he spent time there for 12 years, just being prepared by the Lord for ministry. You know, being ministered to by the Lord and being, you know, the Lord was making his man of Saul there in Tarsus. Then, as you read in chapter 11, revival broke out in Antioch and Barnabas was sent up by the church in Jerusalem to see what was going on, to to testify if this was a real revival and then to minister to those people there. And as he was ministering and teaching and uh, encouraging people to continue on in the grace of God, uh, we see he he needed some help there. I mean, there was a revival going on. This whole city, third largest city uh, in the world at that point, uh, and it was pretty much just Barnabas leading. So Barnabas, it says, went in chapter 11, went back to Tarsus and, and sought out Saul. The language there speaks of hunting. He hunted out Saul. He realized that Saul was useful to the ministry there in Antioch. And when he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. And, uh, and it says that both of them there taught for a whole year. They taught the word of God. And that kind of brings us a little bit up to date. But just before that, we read of Agabus, a prophet, speaking for the prophecy that there would be a famine in the land of Judah. And that uh, at that moment, the disciples determined in their heart that they were going to send food relief to the people down there in, in Judea. And so it says that they sent that relief by the hand of Saul and Barnabas. And so as you're there in chapter 12, verse 20, uh, 20 let's see here. Let's get 25. Barnabas and Saul returned home from Jerusalem or returned back to Antioch from Jerusalem uh, after they'd fulfilled their ministry there. They had brought the food things. But you know, an interesting thing I just don't, didn't realize until I was studying this week is last week in chapter 12, we read of Herod stretching out his hand to persecute the church there in Jerusalem. Do you remember that? And he, he was, his attempt was to cut off the head, the leadership of the church. And he killed James, the brother of John, cut off his head with the sword. And then he was out to kill Peter. And Peter was kept in prison for eight days uh, with, the, you know, probably going to be killed. And it says that the church offered continual prayer for Peter to the Lord. Just this continual fervent prayer. And we see that the hand of the Lord moved because of that prayer meeting. Peter was let go. And uh, Peter then ran, you know, ran where the angel led him, ended up at this home where the prayer meeting was happening. And you can bet, verse 25, that uh, Saul and Barnabas were there in that prayer meeting. Isn't that kind of cool? You know, we knew there was a prayer meeting going on. We knew it was powerful. Who's in it? We don't know. Rhoda, the little girl, John Mark, the little guy, Mary, John Mark's mom. But, you know, who were these people? And to think, wow, you know what? Saul and Barnabas were in there praying, you know, crying out that Peter would be delivered. And Peter was delivered. Peter was miraculously brought out of the prison by an angel. So they're on their way back to Antioch, where uh, Antioch now basically the missionary headquarters um, of the church. Verse 13, now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers Barnabas, Simeon, and, and we'll read the list of names here, but uh, we just want to notice there's two distinct offices uh, here, these gifted leaders that had been appointed by the Holy Spirit, these prophets who had more of a spontaneous speak from the Lord 
role. And then the teachers who had more of a shepherding, consistently teaching the people from the word of God, explaining and expounding the scriptures to them, uh, bringing about relevant application into the people's lives and really shepherding them. Really a, a pastor is what this teacher was. Ephesians 4.11 shows us. But, uh, you know, these were, these were giftings. These were offices that would be appointed by the Holy Spirit, by the Lord. In fact, you should know 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28, where it says, God's appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, then teachers, and just goes on to, to show these, these offices that the Lord has appointed within the church. And uh, we see with prophecy in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, that if a man prophesies, he's speaking forth exhortation and edification to man. Uh, just these speaking gifts, these speaking offices, these offices of leadership uh, here within the church there in Antioch. Uh, we have these guys listed off here. Uh, Barnabas, you know, we know him. Joseph, son of encouragement. Um, you know, just uh, an awesome brother. Always cheering you up. Always a big smile on his face. We have Simeon, uh, who's also called Niger. And Niger is Latin for black. And we see that Simeon was from Cyrene or Libya there in North Africa. And uh, what's amazing about this is that uh, Mark chapter 16, uh, verse 21 tells us that it was a Simon or Simeon of Cyrene that carried the cross for Jesus. Do you remember that part of Mark's gospel where Jesus is on the Via Dolorosa on his way to Golgotha, packing the patibulum of the cross, the 90 to 100 pound cross beam with a whipped back and couldn't continue anymore. So a Roman officer or ossifer uh, compelled Simon to, to carry the cross. And you know, what's just incredible about this story is, is you can almost fill in the blank as you, you know the story and then you, you can read Romans and Acts and you can kind of fill in the blanks of what probably happened is that as Simon the Cyrene packed the cross to Golgotha and watched the nails be driven into this man's hands and into his feet and hearing the commotion amongst the people and, and watching the, the people shoot their lip out against him and, and spit upon him and mock him and, and as he hung there naked and open on the cross. You know, most of the hearts there at that time declared like the Roman soldier, truly he's the son of God as the earthquake happened, as the hours of darkness happened there in the land. And you can bet there was something going on in Simeon's heart. Man, if you pack someone's execution tool to the place of execution, you at least stay around within the vicinity to, to know what happened. And uh, the, the neat thing about it is we know that he had two sons. Uh, there in Mark, it tells us he had a son named Alexander and he had a son named Rufus. Well, we read in Romans chapter 16 that Alexander and Rufus became leaders in the church in Rome. Isn't that awesome? This man's sons, you know, apparently Simon had, had been so affected by the cross and no doubt three days later hearing of the resurrection that he became a believer in the Lord Jesus, gave his life over and uh, no doubt taught his sons concerning the ways of the Lord. You know, back in Acts chapter 11, we read that when persecution started happening there in Jerusalem, that people were sent out and they became witnesses and that there were men from Cyrene that went to Antioch and started the revival in Antioch, the Lord starting the revival through them. Well, who are these church leaders that we read about? We read of Simon the Cyrene. 
You can kind of put the puzzle pieces together. Saved at the cross, you know, saved and taught his sons. And, and eventually we read, right, the next name here in Acts chapter 13, Lucius, also a Cyrene. Historians believe this was actually his cousin uh, that he went home, told about Jesus, and that they all started serving the Lord really as a family, becoming missionaries to Antioch and, and being part of that revival there. Um, Lucius uh, is later in Romans 16. He's also mentioned as being with the Apostle Paul uh, there in Rome. Then we're, then the name Manaean, a friend of Herod the Tetrarch. This is Herod Antipas. He's the one that uh, was reigning during, during Jesus's ministry. So he's the one that cut off John the Baptist's head and put it on a platter. He's the one that when Jesus was on trial, Jesus came before Herod and uh, Herod was excited that Jesus was there because he wanted Jesus to do some sign or some wonder. He, he wanted him to dance, basically dance, monkey dance, you know, but Jesus wouldn't. Jesus kept his mouth quiet and Harris began, uh, Herod began to mock and ridicule Jesus and set him away. Now, the cool thing is, is we have Manaean who was brought up and was a friend of Herod, that Herod. Uh, th- that language speaks of a close childhood friend, even to the point of being like a foster uh, brother, a foster child, being raised with that person. So you see Two different guys raised within the same home or within the same community. And one of them goes on to be a pagan murderer of Christians and prophets uh, and, and really murderer of Jesus. Then you have Manaean who went to love Jesus and became a minister of Jesus. You know, also the fact that he was brought up with Herod shows us a bit of his social status uh, and uh, his prominence uh, within the community. Uh, we also have... Saul mentioned here. And of course, Saul of Tarsus, we've read his history here in the book of Acts. But notice he's just referred to, which is awesome, referred to as a prophet or a teacher and not yet as an apostle. And we're just going to see the the apostleship office given to him through the book of Acts. And we'll watch him defend that office in 1st and 2nd Corinthians. But um, so we have Saul here, not yet an apostle, but a prophet or a teacher. Now, just think about the advantage here in Antioch of having these different gifted men who are all from all different ways of life, different backgrounds, different social statuses, different races from different continents. And all of these guys are church leaders in Antioch, which is going to become the hub of missionary activity to the rest of the world. What do you think that means? That means the Lord has sovereignly prepared the leadership here to get the gospel out to the world. You know, in in chapters 1 through 12 here of the book of Acts, we've seen the Great Commission almost fulfilled as we've seen the gospel going in uh, Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria chapter 8 and and chapters 11. And now here in chapter 13, we're going to see the commission even more going out uh, to the uttermost parts of the world. Uh, As chapters 1 through 12 focus on the life of Peter Here in chapter 13, we begin to see the focus is now on the life of Paul and the ministry to the Gentiles out into the, out into the then known world. So, uh, these men, awesome guys, verse two, and as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So we want to see and note the practice that these awesome church leaders uh, had in their daily lives. You know, the language implicates that this wasn't just a, 
you know, once a year, 30 hour famine or, or, you know, one big, huge worship night or something. This is just their practice continually, steadfastly ministering to the Lord and fasting. And I love this phrase. I hope you have a pen on you. You can just underline the phrase ministered to the Lord. You know, as they came so often as we come in prayer, we've got our list, don't we? We've got our agenda you know, we've got, well, we're going to, I'm going to pray for this problem that I've got and this worry that I've got. And I don't have a job and I don't have any friends and no one likes me and, and I need some money and I need, you know, we've got our list and boy, howdy, when we come, I've got business to do with God, you know, but how often when we come to prayer, do we just come with a complete agenda of getting our eyes off of ourselves and onto Jesus and magnifying Jesus a hundred percent? and worshiping him, and adoring him, and ascribing to him greatness, and worshiping him in his majesty, and in his sovereignty, and in his power, and just letting it be all about him, all about Jesus. I'll tell you, people, those are powerful, powerful times. You know, really so much more powerful than praying for Aunt Lucy or Uncle Jed or, you know, that my dog will get healed from that weird leg thing that it had. You know, I mean, it's powerful to get our eyes off of our circumstances and to get it on to Jesus. Because as we're focusing on him, we get a real good perspective of our issues and our trials and our tiny little things that we're going through and compared to how great and vast and majestic and full of splendor and power and authority he is. You know, and so, you know, the New Living Translation says that they worshiped the Lord here in verse two. That's what they were doing. They were worshiping the Lord. You know, that word proskuneo in the Greek, to kiss toward. That's what we do when we're ministering. We're just kissing the Lord. We're just loving on the Lord as his children to our father, kissing on the Lord. You know, Lainey, my little year and, you know, it's 14 months. Oh, this little girl, man, she owns me. That's probably not good, you know, but man, and she's starting to kiss now. And, you know, I've been trying to teach her how to kiss by going, mm, okay, so when I go, mm, there's a kiss coming, okay, Lainey, you know, and she always, you know, and finally she doesn't get the pucker thing. She just open mouth all over your face, you know, <laughs> but she's starting to just randomly do it on her own now and I don't have to do anything and she'll just go, mm, you know, and uh, I'll tell you, there is something that that does in a father's heart that just, oh, God, I love you, you know. And, you know, that's just, it's so applicable for us that, man, when we just, you know what, I'm not trying to get anything from you, Lord. I I have stuff that I need, but you know what? It's all about you, and I just want to kiss you without without needing anything from you. I'm just going to kiss you. I'm just going to love on you. I'm just going to worship you. Ministering to the Lord. Same language used in the book of Leviticus when the priests would go in and they would offer up the sacrifice and they would, you know, in, in, in fire, the, the aroma of the sacrifice would ascend into heaven as a sweet smelling aroma. Worshiping the Lord. That's what we do. We're just serving the Lord. You know, even more important than, than uh, being used by the Lord and serving, you know, out. Man, it's the one on one time between the person and the Lord. And we see as that is accomplished, all the rest falls into its right, uh, into its right place. You know, in John chapter four, Jesus tells the woman at the well that, you know, God is spirit and he desires to, to be, or you must be worshiped in spirit 
and in truth. And we all know that, right? We all know that verse, God's spirit must be worshiped in, in spirit and in truth. But do you know the verse right in front of it? There in John chapter four, verse 23, it says, you know, the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers of God will worship him in spirit and in truth. And then it says this, for the father is seeking such to worship him. That word seeking means crave. The father is craving, strongly desiring us to worship him. As much as you're craving that, you know, tasty treat burger when the noon bell whistles, you know, uh, man, you've, you've got that going on in you so much. So the Lord is just longing and craving for people to actually minister to him and worship him in spirit and in truth. And so as they were there in Antioch, worshiping the Lord, ministering to the Lord, let me ask you this. When was the last time you did that? When was the last time you ministered to the Lord in worship without bringing a petition or a supplication to the Lord, without, you know, anything on your agenda, you just worshiped Jesus? Might've been a while. You know, I I fall into that too. We're just so blessed at the pulse on Thursday night as, as, you know, probably eight of us or so, we just spent about a half hour or so just worshiping Jesus, just ascribing greatness, you know, prayers going forth. Holy, holy, holy Lord God almighty who was and is and is to come. And Lord, you are the God that led Israel through the Red Sea. You are great. And you're that same God today. And just prayers like that, just going up and up and up and just you, Lord, you, Lord, you, Lord, it's all about you. Our eyes are on you. You are great. Those are powerful, awesome times. And as that was happening, it says that the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. Now, real quick, I want you to, to, as as a student here, take your pen and just put a square around every mentioning of the Holy Spirit in this chapter. It's about five times that the Holy Spirit is referred to or mentioned in this chapter. You know, it's been said that the early church was a spirit-empowered church, so much so that if you were to take the Holy Spirit out of the early church, 90% of what they did would, would have stopped, wouldn't have happened. But if you were to take the Holy Spirit out of the church today, 90% of what goes on would continue. You know, that might just be a saying. I'm sure it's not backed up by statistics. But man, it's just a, a, a word for us that, man, we want to be a spirit-led church, a spirit-empowered church, a church that is just sensitive to the moving of the Holy Spirit. Something else to notice here, the Holy Spirit said. Isn't that cool? You know, we so often think of the Holy Spirit as a force some kind of electricity or gravity or something like that, or a ghost or something like that. When the Holy Spirit is a person, he's a he, he can be grieved. You know, he can be overjoyed. He gives calls to people's life. And here we, we have him speaking as a person speaks. And he says, separate to me, Barnabas and Saul for the work, which I have called them. And man, this is so true for anybody in any ministry. It is the Lord that calls into ministry. It is not man. It's the Holy Spirit that calls. It's the Holy Spirit that ordains. As Paul says, I was ordained not by the will of man, but by the will of God. Now, the Holy Spirit is the one that that calls. And that is such a good thing to fall back on. 
when things get tough. And so this word from the Holy Spirit, no doubt spoken from one of these prophets there in Antioch, uh, verse 3 says, Then having fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them and they sent them away. And so we see them fasting in verse 2 and we see them fasting uh, again in verse 3. We see them testing the prophecy. You know, they didn't just, hey, I really feel like the Lord's saying that, uh, you know, this is to happen, or you're to marry me, or blah, 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 you know, or whatever. Uh, test the prophets, we're told by Paul. Test the prophets. Spend time praying. Spend time, spend time looking in the Word. See if there's a peace in your heart of what they say. And here they, they spent time fasting and praying over this Word from the Holy Spirit. And, and you know, you know that, that it was confirmed in them uh, here in verse 3. But we just see their utter dependency uh, upon the Lord as they fast and as they minister to the Lord. Now, something that's so awesome, you know, I don't think we'll fully understand it until we're in heaven, but just how powerful these times of fasting are. You know, there's just something crazy that happens in the spiritual realm when my stomach is hungry, when my, you know, when I'm just craving that burger, when my, you know, as, as Winnie the Pooh says, my tumblings are rumbling, you know, and you're just hungry. But instead of satisfying your flesh, you say, Lord, as hungry as I am right now, physically, I am more hungry for you. As much as I'm starving right now and everything within me cries out for a milkshake and fries, my soul cries out for Jesus and your glory and your splendor and a work of your Holy Spirit to happen here in Prineville or to happen within this church or or for you to grow in me, Lord. I need more. I need you to open my mind up. I need you to deliver me from sin. And as hungry as I am or as much as I want to watch that show or as much as I want to listen to that song, whatever it is I'm fasting from, you know, Lord, I need you more and I want you more. You know, fasting is also uh, an important time to show your flesh who's boss. You know, because we are tempted every day, every hour, every minute, every second. We are constantly tempted. Can I get an amen or am I the only one? Yeah, man, just temptations constantly. And our flesh, the scripture tells us there is a battle between the flesh and the spirit. And the flesh wants to rule over the spirit. But when we fast, you guys... We are telling our flesh, you know what? You want to rule and you want to be in control. But I'm here to tell you today, flesh, you will not rule in my life. Jesus will rule in my life. And you think you're going to get something? It's noon. You're not going to get anything. We're going to go and we're going to spend time with Jesus because he is all that we need. Man shall not live by bread alone, flesh, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. My food, flesh, is to do the will of him who sent me, flesh. You are not in control. And today I'm telling you, you lose. You lose. And how many of us have ever taken that time to fast to deny the physical so that we can focus on the spiritual. I think it would be a staggering percentage to know how much of the church today has ever spent a day fasting, you know, or a week fasting. More than a week. I don't even want to go there, you know, because I haven't, you know. But do we realize How powerful those are. You can read Isaiah chapter 58, verses 6 through 14, and we see just the power in what the Lord does when his people fast. 
You know, there's just something when a person sets his heart to seek the Lord, that the Lord answers that person. He will not leave that person hanging. You know, Jesus says in Mark chapter nine, when the, the disciples couldn't cast out the demons in that young boy and the disciples asked later, why couldn't we? And Jesus says, this kind does not come out, but by prayer and fasting. H.A. Ironside put it, you know, no man can have power over unclean spirits unless they are in intimate contact with God. Such powerful things happen when we fast. Are you wondering what to do in your life? Are you wondering where to go? Are you wondering who to marry? Are you struggling with a sin or a temptation or a habit? Have you spent any time before the Lord? Have you spent any time fasting? You know, really what fasting and prayer is, it just, it's a picture of an intimate relationship with God. It's a picture of consistent abiding in his presence, you know, and, and I just encourage you to, to take that time and to just discipline yourself and, and, you know, to not do it in your own strength, but, you know, have the power of the Holy Spirit help you to grow in these areas of prayer and of fasting. Had a uh, email probably the last three weeks. I've had one of my old high school kids get in contact with me on Facebook and just asking advice, just sending me big emails. Just, oh man, I've, you know, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And I was just like, man, have you been in the word? No, I haven't been in the word. Have you been in fellowship? No, I haven't been in fellowship. Have you been around wise, godly counsel? No, I haven't been around wise, godly counsel. Have you spent any time fasting? I've never fasted. Like, dude, go, go spend time with Jesus. Go have intimate time with the Lord and watch him move. Watch him work. The early church was a fasting and praying church. Is Calvary Chapel of Crick County a fasting and praying church? Lots of opportunities to pray in this church. You know, and, and I just share again uh, that you know, the Lord has laid on my heart as we go through the book of Acts that every Thursday that you know, I'm just to fast. I'm to fast every Thursday up through the prayer meeting that as we go through the book of Acts, that, you know, the Lord would do that work that he did in Acts, that he would do it here. You know, it doesn't have to be the same work that happened in Antioch or whatever, but you know, that we would continue the book of Acts here, that his spirit would be moving in power in Prineville and in this church and in our leadership. I just encourage you guys, you know, will you fast with me? Will you fast with me on Thursdays or Wednesdays or Wednesday morning or whatever? Let's be a fasting church. Let's be a praying church. And as they fasted and prayed, uh, they laid hands on them and they sent them away. You know, one thing that's so exciting about seeing fasting and prayer here is that it's something that the Lord has made available to every one of us. Isn't that cool? You might think, oh, I'm not there yet in my Christian walk with the Lord. Hey, the minute you are saved, you're there. The Lord has given you the ability to pray and to communicate him when you're one day old in Christ. The Lord has given you the ability to fast and cry out to him and seek him when you're one day old in Christ. The Lord has given you the ability to minister to him. You don't have to be a priest. No, you can be one day old in Christ and minister to the Lord. We as Christians can be part of sending people out and being sent out by the Holy Spirit. We can have part of hearing the Holy Spirit speak to us. That's an exciting thing, you guys, that the living God has made available for us today. 
But notice they spent time waiting on the Lord before they laid hands on Barnabas and Saul and sent them out. You know, it's really easy to lay hands on people and appoint people to ministry. I just walked through the church right now and bing, 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 you know, you all have a ministry now, you know, that's an easy thing to do. It's really hard to take that back and say, you know what? You weren't ready. I'm sorry. Or man, I didn't know you were having an affair. Gosh, this isn't the right time for you. Or you know what? You're really prideful and God, you know, God's putting you on a shelf right now, buddy. You know, oh, that's just really hard. Everyone gets offended when you start stripping them of their ministries. Everyone loves it when you're giving them out. That might not be true either. (laughs) You children's ministry. What? (laughs) I hate kids. Okay. So, you know, it's hard to bring those back. And so it's so important to, as Paul told Timothy, not lay hands on anyone hastily, but to be prayerful and to just examine their lives. Are they doing already the work of that ministry to where it's just a natural thing to lay hands on them? And the Lord bears witness that this person is called in that area. As I was studying and just considering the laying on of hands and the sending out of Saul and Barnabas, um, the Lord just spoke to me from 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14, if you'll flip over there. And I really feel like it's a word for some of you in our church who at one point you were useful in the ministry. You were active in the ministry. You had had even the hands of elders laid on you and you'd been appointed to to services and ministry. I just feel like there's a word for, for one or more people in our church that, that now you're not walking in that gift. You're not using those gifts. Those gifts are laying dormant and have been laying dormant for some time. And as you look at 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14, Paul says, do not neglect the gift that is in you which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Do not neglect that gift that is within you. When you think of that word neglect, what do you think of? Imagine a child who's been neglected. Imagine that child, probably malnourished, probably dirty and grungy and Clothes that don't fit, clothes that are dirty, hygiene that, you know, personal hygiene, teeth that are discolored, probably sad countenance as they've been neglected. You know, think of an animal that's been neglected or think of a piece of property that has been neglected, overgrown, weeds, shingles falling off, gutters swinging, you know, broken windows, completely unuseful for any task. And how grievous it is to think that we, sons and daughters of God, have been given gifts by the Holy Spirit, and we don't use them. We neglect them. We hate them. You know, we're lazy with them. We've never looked in the scripture how to properly use those gifts. And whatever it is, I think the the same encouragement is there to us today, not to neglect the gift. Right now, maybe you just need to ask yourself, what gift do I have that the Lord's given me that perhaps I'm neglecting today? It's laying in shambles or it's tucked away in a back closet in my life. You know, uh, if you look over in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6, Paul tells Timothy again, Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. 
You know, maybe you've had an elder lay hands on you and pray over you and point you to something or, or speak a gift in your life or pray for that gift. And you've seen that gift happening and come to fruition, actively used in your life. But not only have you neglected it, it's just sat to the bottom. You know, whenever I read this, I can't help. Sorry for my brain. Childish, I'm sure. I think of a pitcher of Kool-Aid. You know, when you first have the pitcher of water and you pour in the powder and it just goes right down to the bottom, although some freckles of it stay up and it's kind of pink for a second. And then it all goes to the bottom and it's just watery on top, red on the bottom. And I just, whenever I think of this, I think of stirring up that pitcher getting all that's on the bottom back up in the top so that there's vibrance and life and taste and color and there's joy when there's a a thing of Kool-Aid there, you know? And how often do we need to just come and, and stir up the gifts and come minister to the Lord and say, Lord, there was one time when I was actively serving in this capacity or being used in this capacity. I was even in an office within a church. What's happened in my life that it's caused need to neglect it or to, for it to simmer down? How do you stir up that gift? I say you seek the Lord. I say you get people around you praying for you that you know how to use those gifts or those callings again. You know, let the elders know if there's a certain desire in your heart, let me know and, and we'll pray and we'll be looking for that. We'll speak words into your life that could help get you on that path again. But man, how grievous that we would neglect gifts given to us by the living God. Why is it a big deal, Rory? Can't I just live my life the way I want to live it? It's a big deal, you guys, because there's not much time. We may not have tomorrow. We may not have next week. And so this moment, you guys, do you realize that this side of eternity is the only time in all of history that we will be able to use the gifts that God has given us to edify the body of Christ, to build one another up, uh, to equip one another. This is the only side, this, this side of eternity is the only time in history that we will ever be able to use these lips or use these feet to get the gospel of Jesus Christ out to a world of people that are condemned to hell unless they believe and how are they going to believe unless they've heard and how are they going to hear unless someone tells them how beautiful are the feet of those that bring the gospel of Jesus Christ there is not much time don't neglect the gifts be using them in the body be using them in the community to stir up people for Jesus to edify one another and if you've had hands laid on you before and you just like to just foster that again, man, let us pray for you. If, you, if you're, you know, there's probably people there, I don't know what my gifts are. I've never had anyone pray for me for this. I don't even know where to begin. That's okay. Today is the day to begin. Today is the day to start ministering to the Lord and worshiping the Lord and crying out that the Lord would use you because you are useful. Every one of us has been placed within certain spheres by the Lord that we could be used by him in this town. You are so useful, so don't neglect the gift that's been given to you. Don't neglect the calling. You know, the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable, Paul tells us. And so they were sent out. We're just going to go through verse 12 today. Verse 4, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, it was the Holy Spirit that sent them, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they, they sailed to Cyprus. So if we can 
throw up the, uh, the map of Israel up there and we'll just have it up for the rest of the study. I'm not even sure anyone's back there. It's either a square head or a computer screen. I'm not sure. But uh, if we can, we'll get the, the map of Israel up there for you guys. And uh, so they say, you can also reference the back of your Bible has a map. Sent from uh, Antioch to uh, Seleucia, which is just 20 miles away. It's the uh, entrance to the, the sea there, the Mediterranean Sea. From there, they sailed to Cyprus, which is an island about 100 and so miles off the coast. Now, they went to Cyprus, which was cool because uh, Barnabas was from Cyprus. Okay, so here we go. We got down to the bottom right, Jerusalem. Uh, then up above the word Syria, you have Antioch, the starting point of, of missions from this point. Uh, in Antioch, they just went down 20 miles to Seleucia. They sailed to Cyprus, to Salamis. And by the end of today, we'll, we'll see them in Paphos on the uh, west side of Cyprus there. Now, um, the, the amazing thing about them going to Cyprus here is it's Barnabas's home island, Barnabas's hometown. And no doubt Barnabas had people in his mind that needed to know the gospel of Jesus Christ. Barnabas had friends and family and coworkers and, and, and people that needed to know Jesus. In fact, it's, it's known that the, the law in Cyprus was that every woman had to serve one year of their life as a prostitute in the temple there uh, on the island of Cyprus. So just this paganism, almost the, the, uh, the, is it the Taiwan, Taiwanese that, you know, have these, this trade, the sex trade there. And so similar, uh, man, just no doubt grieves the Lord, grieved Barnabas as Barnabas uh, said, hey, let's go to Cyprus. So they went to Cyprus. And when they'd arrived in Salamis, they preached the word of God. And what was their emphasis? What was their aim? What was their, their practice, their method? It was preaching the word. It was preaching the scriptures. It was expounding from the scriptures, from Genesis through Malachi, how Jesus is the Messiah. He's the prophesied one. Uh, and not only to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles, you know, that, that he fulfilled all of the prophecies concerning the Christ. And, you know, there's such a comfort in knowing that we can always just teach the word of God and we will always teach the word of God. It's so simple and yet so powerful at the same time. And, you know, I take great comfort in Hebrews chapter four, verse 12, that the word of God you guys know it. If you've, been in, if you've been a Christian for very long, you know the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. So sharp it's able to pierce between the division of soul and spirit. What else can do that? Anyone here have a pocket knife, buck knife, you know, that can, they can you know, go between soul and spirit? No, none of us do. It's able to go between bone and marrow and it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. What is this that we have in our hand? The word of God, the inspired, breathed out word of God. And it is our authority. It is something that we can wield around like the sword that it is. Sharp, you know, and, and living and powerful. So often we think of it as just word, black and red, words on a page with thin papering and leather binding, you know, and uh, that's really all it is. And sometimes it gets dusty and sometimes I'll read it and sometimes I won't, you know. Or may the Lord change our mindset to understand these words are living. When we read these words, our heart is impacted and, and the, the word is able to discern our thoughts and our intents. That's a, it's a beautiful thing. Isaiah 55, 11, 
says, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please. And it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. That's the word of God. That's the power of God's word. You know, the Psalms say, my word I have esteemed above my name. You know, purer than silver refined in the furnace of the earth seven times is the word of God. You guys, you can own the word. And if you don't know anything else, you can open up the Bible and start reading from it. And it will accomplish God's purposes. It will not return void. And so he preached the word there. And he had uh, John, they had John as their assistant or John Mark. He's more commonly known as Mark. Uh, we've read about him a little bit last week and how, um, you know, it, his, it was his house where the prayer meeting was happening that set Peter free from uh, prison. It was believed that it was Mark's house that the upper room was in, that we read about the last supper taking place and that he was a young boy. He's the one that penned the book, Mark, the gospel of Mark. And most believe that Mark was Peter's secretary. It was actually Peter's gospel, but Mark wrote it. And it's interesting in that gospel that as uh, the, the last supper was happening, this young boy, Mark, was, was there in a sheet, probably supposed to go to bed. And as he's you know, listening, they got up and they went over to the garden of Gethsemane and when the, the betrayal happened and Jesus was arrested, Mark's gospel account tells us that there was a young boy there in a sheet. And one of the soldiers grabbed the sheet and tried to seize Mark, but Mark ran off and fled away naked. You know, it doesn't specifically say his name there, but it's only mentioned in the gospel of Mark. Most believe that was Mark. That was Mark's house. That was Mark's prayer meeting. You know, the prayer meeting was at his parents' house in Acts chapter 12. And now we see him going from a prayer meeting to being a missionary, being assistant to Saul and Barnabas. That's an awesome thing. John was their assistant. Now, when they'd gone through the island to Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus. So we're introduced to this character that is a, a wily man, you know, a sneaky snake. And uh, he basically, you, you look at the descriptions of him, he's Jewish. Okay, that's good. But he's a sorcerer. That's bad, especially if you're a Jew. You read Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 9, and you see God's intense heart and hatred against sorcery, witchcraft, mediums. It's an abomination to him. He says, you will not have any part of those things. All those nations that I've cast out of the land of Canaan, when you go in, you better not do their practices of witchcraft and sorcery. It's an abomination. You know, God hates it. Well, here's this Jewish sorcerer, false prophet, and if this guy was living in the Old Testament over in the land of, of Israel, he would be eating some rocks, I'll tell you that. He'd be being stoned, okay? And, uh, and then also his name, Bar-Jesus, or Son of Jesus, really means Son of Joshua. Um, it was, you know, a, a common name of the time. But uh, just this false prophet, uh, sneaky character. Verse 7, who was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus. Uh, Sergius Paulus was the governor or the deputy uh, ruler of that whole land. Um, he was an, uh, an intelligent man, we read of verse 7. This man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. He was an intelligent man, wasn't he? 
You know, he, he, I don't know why he kept uh, Bar Jesus around. That kind of makes you wonder about his intelligence level. But he had a heart, a desire, a craving to hear the word of God. You know, that's just a mark of intelligence. You know, Psalms chapter 14 starts out by saying, the fool has said in his heart, no God, or there is no God. Romans chapter one tells us that when people follow after their sins, that God will give them over to those sins. But he says, professing to be wise, they became fools. So much like the professors in the universities today and the teachers that teach evolution and every other guy that rejects God but thinks he's a smarty pants, you know. Uh, the Bible says, you think you're smart, but you're a moron. Moranos is what the word is in the Greek. You're a, a fool. But here we see this guy that had a, he was an intelligent man. Secular history tells us Sergius Paulus was an intelligent man. He was a writer of many books. And, uh, you know, he sought to hear the gospel here. He sought to hear the word. Verse 8, but Elymas, the sorcerer, for so his name is translated in Arabic, withstood them, seeking to, to turn the proconsul away from the faith. That is a place that you do not want to be in, uh, resisting the gospel or opposing the gospel, even to the point of turning others away from the, the gospel. Not a good place to be in. And, and um, you can just picture him, this sneaky guy, you know, don't listen to them. Don't, you know, just whispering in the proconsul's ear, don't listen to them. They don't know what they're talking about. I'm Jewish and I never heard anything about that, you know, and just really trying to get this governor to, to not believe in Jesus. And you can just see the boiling point on Saul getting hotter and hotter and hotter as Elymas is, with, is opposing them. In verse nine, then Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him. So pausing the story real quick. First time we read of Saul and his new name, Paul. For the rest of the book, we're going to hear him. His name's Paul now. And it's just cool to, to notice that Saul, his old name, meant requested one or desired one. You know, he was an elite member of the Sanhedrin giving mission by the, by the temple to go and destroy these Christians. And, you know, and I'm Saul of Tarsus, you know, really proud and arrogant in that. And now he's, he's taking on another name, Paul, a Roman name, which means little. You know, I was great. I was requested. Everyone desired me. And now, you know what? In Christ, I'm so little. I'm so little. And you just hear that. You hear that tone in the epistles, don't you? You know, I'm the least of all the apostles, 1 Corinthians 15. You know, or I'm the chief of all sinners. I'm nobody. I'm so not worthy to be even saved or to be an apostle. Like, like John the Baptist said, you know, he must increase and I must decrease. That becomes the heart and attitude of every Christian as they spend time with Jesus and as they're ministering to the Lord, seeing his greatness, declaring his greatness. All of a sudden, the pride and the arrogance melts away. It's not about me. It's not about my reputation. It's not about what's accredited to me. It's not about the accolades that I get. It's all about Jesus. I'm little, you know, they must increase. I must decrease. He must increase. I must decrease. You know, that's the heart that was in Christ Jesus. And that's the heart that comes into Christians. And so he is filled with the Holy spirit. Now his name's Paul. And, and he, you know, looks intently at him. Just put yourself in this place. Picture the intent look of Paul, the apostle. And, uh, and he says, Oh, full of all deceit and fraud, you son of the devil. 
You're a liar. You're a phony. And you know what? As John says, uh, you're the, you're the son of the devil. Who's the father of all lies. He goes on to say, uh, you're an enemy of all righteousness. How long, or excuse me, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? The ways of the Lord are straight, but you're a pervert, Bar Jesus. Pervert means crooked. You are crooked. Your whole life you've been crooked. When are you going to cease being crooked? Just the righteous anger. And Paul confronts this guy on his sin and rebukes him for his sin. Bar Jesus, the scriptures say this about sorcery. They say this about witchcraft. They say this about false prophets. And you are a crooked little fellow and you are going to be judged. <laughs> Just calls a spade a spade, doesn't he? And now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. You know, I really think as righteous anger as, as Saul had when he, when he really prophesied that this hand of, of the Lord was going to come upon Elymas, uh, I don't think it was so much a, a wrathful thing, like sick him, Lord, really show him what you got. Because you know what? Saul had experienced the grace of the Lord. He had been forgiven much. And as the word says, he who, had been forg- he who has been forgiven much loves much. So as, as hard as it is sometimes, and we need to call people out on their sin, and maybe even, you know, if the Lord would have us speak a prophecy over them, you know what? Saul was able to say, you're going to be blind for a time. But you know what? I was blind for a time. The Lord had to bring me to a place in, in, in uh, Damascus where I had scales over my eyes. And for three days, I sat there in humility, and I considered Jesus, and I believed And when I believed, those scales came off my eyes. And I hope Bar Jesus repented of his crooked, perverse ways. I hope he did. And I know Saul or Paul hoped that he did. And poor Bar Jesus, you know, now he's blind. He's going around looking for someone to lead him by the hand. Doesn't seem like anyone was really taking him up on that. You know, I'm not going to help you, you wicked son of the devil. (laughs) You know, find your own walking stick or whatever, you know. Verse 12. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. You know, just a cheer that that the Lord won. Isn't that awesome? I mean, when you're in a situation like that and it's starting to get hot and someone's opposing you and you're trying to witness and that guy comes in, that's like the son of the devil. Oh, this is a horrible mission trip. I'm going home, you know, And, uh, and, and but the Lord prevailed. What a victory we see here. But notice, Sergius Paulus was astounded. What was he astounded at? Oh my gosh, this guy went blind. There was a mist that came up. Whoa! Is that what he was astounded at? What does it say? He was astonished at the word of the Lord. He was astonished at the teaching. It was the word of God, that sharp double-edged sword that he was astounded and struck dumb with fear. And that sign against Elemis was just a, it was just a, uh, a validation or a, or a, um, lack of word right now, a validation of the gospel showing the, the power and the authority of the word. That's what caused Sergius Paulus to believe. Beautiful story. Awesome to see. Really Sergius Paulus really is almost the first total Gentile to be saved. 
You know, we read about Cornelius in chapter 10, and he had had kind of a, a history with the Jews. He wasn't Jewish. He was a Gentile. But he'd, you know, been seeking, you know, the things of the Lord and going to the temple and trying to find out about Yahweh. And um, this guy, no clue. This guy, Gentile, didn't have a clue. And he came to believe in Jesus that day. We can go ahead and have Stuart come on up and you guys can set your Bibles down. And let's just respond to the Lord today. For those of you that maybe came in here and as you walked in those doors, you were not saved. As you walked through those doors, you were dead in your sins. You are an enemy of God, the scriptures tells us. And your wage, the penalty for that, was eternal death in hell. Not a good place to be. But today the word of the God has gone forth to you. That Jesus Christ came and fulfilled all of the prophecies of thousands of years. And one of those prophecies was that he was going to be betrayed. He was going to be killed. He was going to suffer for the sins of all mankind. Through Jesus, all the nations of the world would be blessed. And as he hung there on the cross, he didn't bear his own sins because he'd never sinned. But on his shoulders weighed my sins and your sins and the person next to you sins that if anyone would believe in the name of Jesus and receive by faith the free gift of salvation of eternal life you would be saved You've been listening to Pastor Rory Rogers, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County, located in Prineville, Oregon. For more information on this ministry, or if you'd like to contribute, please feel free to write to us at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon 97754, or check us out further on our website at www.calvarycrookcounty.com. We thank you so much for listening, and we pray that this ministry has blessed you.